You're listening to audio from Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama. If you'd like to learn more about Citizens, you can visit our website at citizensbhm.com. So my wife and I, that's Elena right there. Did you have something you want to say to me, babe? Oh, gosh. Usually good to clear things with your wife before you talk about them from stage. But I think I'll get a pass on this one. Uh, My wife and I moved from Tuscaloosa, Alabama, where we worked for a college ministry called Bama Crew. And we moved in 2013 to Louisville, Kentucky for me to finish seminary and work at a church called Sojourn. And we were celebrating kind of finding an apartment and her getting a job and all the things on a night out. And we went to what would become our favorite restaurant in Louisville, a little Indian spot called Kashmir on kind of the main drag of Louisville called Bardstown Road. And we were eating outside. We didn't have kids then, so we were deeply engaged in conversation, not just encouraging and correcting the whole time and begging them to eat food, which is our current life. But as we were deep in conversation, kind of not paying attention to anything, and we were outside, and it was a pretty crowded restaurant, a crowded night, suddenly we started to see, like, some odd folks. Some folks that were, like, dressed kind of like it's Halloween, but, like, creepier. And we thought, like, oh, there must be a weird concert going on. There must be, like, a slasher or slayer concert or something nearby. There's a lot of concert venues. And then like a dozen people became a hundred people. And then a hundred kind of became a thousand. And eventually we had this. And we're eating and we're like, I truly don't understand what's going on. And it turns out Louisville hosts the largest zombie walk in the world. 40,000 people every August gather in the main streets to kind of party and have their own zombie only Halloween. And there's lots of, you know, kind of traditional tropes. We got like the marriage that didn't work out, that had a zombie attack. But there's also some pretty creative ones, like the breakout here. And so it's kind of this whole night that goes on and on, and they walk for miles. And I show these because I want to highlight there's been a global fascination with zombies for about 20 years. The Walking Dead kind of popularized this idea of an apocalypse with zombies, and it's spun into a dozen different movies, and it's stretched all across the globe. It's a global phenomenon now. And I want to show you these zombies because as one of my favorite authors says, the monsters we make reveal some stuff about us. J.K. Rowling says this, the story deals with themes which have always interested me. What do the monsters we conjure tell us about ourselves? Think about a zombie, the undead, the moving but not living, the desiring but not in control. Why do they fascinate us? Could it be deep down we feel this way? Or maybe we feel this way about the world, that people are moving and doing and doing the same things for thousands of years, but are they really free and alive? People seem to be doing, acting and speaking and living a certain way, but yet they act so predictably. The people have desires, even though times change, we always seem to want the same things. For zombies, it's like brains or or blood or whatever a zombie wants. But for us, it's the same real-world desires of craving money, 
power, success, sex, acceptance, love, control, comfort. We act in pretty predictable ways. See, the Bible makes shocking claims about what a human is. That we are a people made by God. Not just made by God, but made for God. That to be a human is to belong to God. And furthermore, we're made in God's image, meaning that God is our authority, is our creator, and we are made to live under his authority, that that's the place where humans thrive. We weren't made to be apart from God, but to be with God, to enjoy God's love, but also our responsibilities as a created people made in God's image. And as image bears, we reflect God's image to all the universe and we're set above every other created thing. We're not like the animals and plants. We're not like rocks or stars. We're people made in God's image, special and apart. That means every single human is worthy of value, dignity, respect, love, justice. Yet instead of a world full of happy, healthy, spiritually alive people following our good, God-given desires and godly ways, we look across our communities, we look across our families, our relationships, our whole globe, and we find a broken world. We find a world that one's good desires are now broken and pursued in godless ways. And the Bible speaks to the darkness of this reality, that though we live, we're also spiritually dead. And the reason we're spiritually dead and the world is broken is our trespasses and sins. That's how verse 1 puts it. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Trespasses are the breaking of God's law. Think of like crossing an established line, a trespassing in someone's yard. I had a small pack of wild dogs trespassing my property last night. I had to drive them off with a shovel. In a much more serious way, we trespass God's law, God's law, his holy law. And if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, God's law can be specific things like the Ten Commandments. Have no other God but God. Make no idols to worship or trust or serve other than God. Don't use his name flippantly. Rest from your work and trust God with your life and Sabbath. Honor your mom and dad and it will go well with you. Don't kill other image bearers. Only have sex inside a loving marriage to a fellow image bearer of the opposite sex. Also, don't lie to other image bearers and don't steal from them either. And finally, don't want other image, bearage, other image bearers stuff or their life, which is a good thing to turn off the Instagram if it tempts you to covet. And those are really specific things, but sin's actually this much bigger idea too. That, as Romans 14 tells us, that anything that doesn't proceed from faith in God is actually sin. That even pursuing good things can be sin when not done in faith towards God and Christ. And not only have we walked in this sin, but verse 2 tells us we were led in sin. 
by Satan through the ways of the world. Verse 2, in which you once walked, walked like a zombie, following the course of this world, doing the same things that every generation has done, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And that sounds like fancy or obscure language. But if you read the Bible from beginning to end, God always is talking about the wild spiritual realm that is this world. Our secular modern minds want to reject all that, but the Bible is really clear about it. When it talks about air here, it means a space between earth and the heavens that in the ancient mind, Satan was at work in this kind of atmospheric way, controlling the powers and authorities and ways of the world and every tribe, tongue, and culture deceived in the spiritual realm in a way that took our broken hearts, our sinful trespassing hearts, and then led them into further sin in a way that the whole world is captive to, in bondage to, deceived, lied enslaved by these things. And that's how Paul talks about us, that we were pulled along and deceived. And this can be tricky because you can feel like a good person or a good citizen of Birmingham, but even being led astray by this generation's values and standards. Because if you notice the worldly values, standards, laws, what's good, what's wrong, they change every generation. And they're going to keep changing. But what I want to point out to us is there's a hope because God's on record of what is good. It's not like he hasn't spoken. He's actually said, this is where the good way is. This is what it means to live. This is what humans are made to do and live and be. And God's words have been written for us to follow. Think about this. God has supported equality between men and women since Genesis 1. God has supported racial equality since Genesis 1. God's word tells us sex is for the commitment and safety of marriage and never for violence, and that sex is good from Genesis 2. God's word believed in creation care. God's always been green since Genesis 2. God's, believe, God's taught us the evilness of the fallen heart and records the first murder in Genesis 4. That's not new. We're not discovering murder or evil. God's word has warned us about the danger and hubris of money, technology, pride, the power of culture, and the Tower of Babel by Genesis 11. Often we are just coming towards it and going to other directions away from God's forever laws. It's the truth, and the devil seeks to deceive and confuse us. Make us believe that God hasn't said these things. We must have God's word, or we will be overrun by our desires and led away by Satan. Almost like you're getting attached to a freight train that will just pull you away, pull you down a track, take you further than you ever wanted to go. And verse three tells us this among whom we all, not some, not people who didn't grow up Christian. We all once lived in the passions of our flesh. That as big as the problem is out there with Satan, as big as the problem is out there with the world, 
we got a problem right here. It's the own passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and mind, and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And this is where this us versus them idea kind of dies. We all are in sin, and the main problem is us, which puts us all in great need of a Savior. And our passions and desires bend towards evil. Paul describes what this looks like in Galatians 5. If you're like, what's that mean, your passions of the flesh and desires? Well, he drops it right here. Verse 19, he says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, not hospitality. We're trying to be hospitable. Hostility, quarreling, fighting, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, lovers of disputing, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. When you see that list and it widens out our lens and go, oh, there's a lot of things and I've done these things. You start to put yourself in the all category instead of, well, they're in the bad category and I'm in like the kind of good category. No, all have sinned. All have walked in these ways. And this, our lives are evidence that the Bible is ringing true. Even our sinful thoughts this morning betray us. That we, at least once upon a like, were zombie-like in sin. And being spiritually dead, following Satan, we deserve the wrath of God as God's enemies. As uncomfortable as that is to read and say and really think about, but to follow Satan, to go along with the course of this world, to live as your own king in your heart, is to put you at odds with a God who made you and is a loving and just good authority over all people. And to ignore hard things, we, we speak in detail about sin here at Citizens, as uncomfortable as it is, because we need to know the truth. To ignore hard things isn't loving, but it's foolish. Without understanding sin, we can never see grace as the gift it is. Spiritually dead, we were hopeless to help ourselves. Ben Franklin is far wrong. God doesn't help those who help themselves because we were spiritually dead. And dead people don't get up and walk without help. And here's where the verse changes. Verse four gives us what some preachers have called the greatest but in the Bible. Verse four, but God brings the dead to life all the time. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead and our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace that you have been saved. And this is the gospel, church, that Jesus made you alive. It wasn't how you were brought up. It wasn't that you decided to change your life. It's that God looked at you dead on the table and started to bring you to life by the power 
of Jesus Christ. Amen? And why did God do it? Why? Why would he do it? Because God's rich in mercy and love. That's what God tells us. That's not like me making up like, oh yeah, he really loves you. That's his word. He says, I'm rich in mercy and love. And I want to challenge you. If your view of God isn't a God rich in mercy and love, then you're just wrong. You might be sincere, but friend, you are sincerely incorrect. And I'm going to tell you, you have a chance to change today. You can take God at his word and say, my God, the only God that there will ever be is rich in mercy and love, or you can continue in error. But today is a day to change. Your God is rich. He ain't running out of money in mercy. He's rich in love. He ain't going broke. And he has leveraged his goodness, his only son, to make you alive. And that's the good news. And this is, there's proof just in this verse because it's proven by when God made us alive. See, God made us alive while we were still dead. He didn't make us alive because um, we started to get it together. We didn't win God over by our good deeds, our life. We don't get God to like us. We don't equal out the scales of judgment. We don't build up good karma. Instead, by the sheer mercy and love of God, the why of our salvation drops the when of our salvation, that when we were still zombieing around, God started to do something in our heart. He started to make us breathe. Stars made us see the truth, made our affections turn from just whatever I want to, man, how could I not serve a king in what he wants? And just like Jesus put his hand over the dead, think about the widow's son. Come up to the briar. He puts his hand over the child and says, live, stand up, walk. That's you. That's what salvation is. He puts a hand over your heart and says, now it's time to be alive. You were dead and now you're not. That's why we love testimonies and baptisms because it's evidence that God's still doing this. It's evidence in my life and your life and every life. Justin was far lost. I woke up after a wild party and I was confused. I got in my car. I was turning on my car at like six in the morning and I felt God turn on my heart like the key in my car. That Justin, you can live this way of just these sins for the rest of your life, or you can turn to me and live. And as I flip that key, it's like he flipped a light in my heart to go, there's a God and he loves me. And that's all I know. I didn't grow up in church. That was the full extent of the gospel I knew, other than someone preaching it two weeks before at an FCA I was drugged to. And God started a new story. Still have to wrestle with all this sin and brokenness in my heart, and that's been the story since. But he made me alive, not because Justin got it together, but because Jesus came and got me. And he's still doing that today, and he loves doing it. And so, how does this look? How spiritually does this look? Well, look at verses six and seven, because God's gonna break it down for us. He says, And God raised us. Raised us, 
Last week, he talked about him raising up Jesus. This week, he's talking about raising up us. And God raised us up with him, as in Jesus, and seated us with him, as in Jesus, in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the measurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Church, you were saved to be loved. That's the plan. He's going to show you the immeasurable riches of his grace for all eternity. That's where your salvation's going. He doesn't save you to hope to get a good day's work out of you. We have good works to do, but we have an eternity where he's going to lavish his love and kindness on us. Let it blow your mind. Fight through the defenses that say, I don't know about that. You know what I know about? I only have truth from here. God wants to lavish his love on you for all eternity. And he does it this way. He makes your heart beat this way. By the grace of God, we're placed in Christ so that Jesus's victory is our victory. When Bryce Young of Alabama, I know I'm gonna make a couple enemies, but probably more friends given this crowd. When Bryce Young scores a touchdown for the University of Alabama football team. It's not Bryce Young's personal touchdown. The team gets a touchdown. In the same way, when Christ rose from the dead, if you're on Jesus's team, you rose from the dead. When Jesus sat down at the right hand of God on the throne of God forever to rule all dominions and authorities for the rest of time, you sat down on the right hand of the Father next to the Lord. You've been seated with Christ. And we're going to get a little dorky here. Y'all ready to put a little dork hat on? Like straighten it up? We got to look at the Greek just a little bit. All right? The New Testament is written in Greek. And this is what it looks like. It's so clear in the Greek. I want to make it clear to us, even if we don't know Greek. Take a look. There's this same prefix right here. Soon, soon, soon. And what it means is with or together. And he uses it three times to highlight how together, how with Christ you are. Together, he made us alive together with Christ. Together, raised us up with Christ. Together, seated us with Christ. Each verb has the same prefix to highlight your togetherness. And this soon, we get words like synchronize. And we've shortened synchronize to sync, right? You sync your phone to your laptop to your iPad, and then it all just kind of magically connects. That's what happened when you came to Christ. You synced with Christ. You are together with him in this locked, integrated way from now to the rest of eternity. It's like getting on the right Wi-Fi in your whole life downloading into Christ. And that's what it means to be in and connected. Every time you sync your phone up to anything now, I want you to remember, I am synced with Christ. I am together with him. In a technological world that wants to blow us by and and take us out of of the stillness of life, man, we're going to talk about the technological world that it can be made holy too. To say, man, I'm syncing my heart with the gospel because I've been raised and seated with Christ forevermore made alive. God's big plan is to delight in you as a redeemed image of God in a new Eden. That's not just a garden, but a garden city where there won't be a sun and moon, 
but rather we will live by the light of God in our life, day and night. There will be no more night forevermore. Amen. We can't talk about wild, mystical earth of spiritual realms and not talk about the wild, mystical, spiritual ending. That's where we're going, church. Sin, death, brokenness, Satan, they don't get the last word. Instead, held in our Father's arms, we will get the last laugh. Because life is hard. We're still in a broken world with some realities that are really painful. But you have been synced with Christ. Just as he suffered, surely we will. We can't follow a crucified man and not expect to also suffer. But he's with us. He's united himself to us by his choice, by his goodness. And it's not enough to know all this. The grace of God is a gift to be received, church. Look at verse 8. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. You've been made alive by grace through faith as a gift. Now you don't work for a gift. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. If a gift is earned, that's actually called a bonus. God's not working on a bonus structure here with salvation. But you must receive a gift and not reject it but take that gift like a child at Christmas. That's why we give gifts to kids, to teach them about grace. doesn't matter if they're naughty or nice. My kids are still getting gifts because I love them. You can receive salvation today. You can lay down your works, your attempts at earning God's favor. You never will. Instead, just receive. And you receive by agreeing with God. That's what confession means, to agree with what God already knows. Agree with him that you need grace and you have sin. That sin has been your story and your heart's desires are often twisted. But then turn from that sin, that's repentance, in order to receive God's grace instead. Grace can be your story. Sin doesn't have to be a story. See, justice is getting what you deserve. Most people think we want justice because we really don't think we're dead, and we really don't think we deserve wrath. Justice for everyone, spiritually, would be wrath for everyone. But even arguing and refusing God's word on this point reveals our sinful tendencies. We, we bend not to believe God. But our horror stories betray our real thoughts, our real feelings, our real worries that maybe we do deserve wrath. You've watched a zombie show. The goal is to kill all the zombies. It always ends the same way. And if justice is getting what you deserve, then mercy is, get, mercy is not getting what you deserve. If we deserve wrath, it's mercy that God holds back that wrath. But if that's justice and mercy, then grace is getting what you don't deserve or even ill deserve. We deserve wrath, but instead Jesus takes the wrath due for our sins instead. Jesus got what we deserve. And you know when people say, why do bad things happen to good people? 
Well, according to Ephesians 2, that only happened once, where a perfectly good, spiritually alive man had the worst thing happen to him. And here's the move. He volunteered. Jesus is no victim. He lays down his life and takes it up again, just as he said. Yes, he was murdered. It was only because in the foreplan of God to redeem those, to redeem us, that he did it with a heart full of love, for the love for you and glory for his father. And he went to the cross for our sins to free us from our zombie enslavement to Satan, to free us from our own broken desires and give us a new heart, to wipe out our trespasses and sins against God. So when the Spirit raised him from the dead, after three days, you can be raised too. You can breathe again and have your heart live. No one can boast that they're saved because Jesus does the saving by grace. Verse 9, this is not a result of works so that no one can boast. I want to challenge you. Maybe you've never really heard it like this before. Maybe you grew up in church or maybe you just felt like, hey man, I just, I'm here and I just, I want to be a better person and that's why I'm here. And that's good. That's a good desire to want to, want to grow and be better. But I'm telling you the truth that this God, the God of the Bible, he runs on grace. God's love isn't for sale. You can't buy it and you can't earn it. It's free to you but it's awfully costly to Christ. He doesn't do this to guilt us into being better. Like, oh man, Christ did so much. I better get it together. That's the gospel of guilt. Instead of the gospel of grace that says your guilt is gone and now you're free to follow me because I love you and I mean it with my blood. We see grace isn't a passive status change, but it brings us from death to life eternally, but also right now. Look what God's doing. This is the right now of your faith. This is the faith to praise him for, the faith to seek him for, the faith to be excited in the morning, to pin it over your mirror, to put it on your steering wheel. Verse 10 might be it. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, grace, when it comes to your heart, it actually grows us. You're changed. It might be slow at first. It'll probably be rocky always. But God is literally working on you. That's what a workmanship is. You know God hasn't given up on you. The, the story's not over because God's at work. And instead, he's remaking you to be a people who trust them that leave the zombie ways and that day to day you're crafted into the image of God you were meant to be. You following Jesus is who you're meant to be. Yeah, we got to figure out the vocation stuff. Yeah, we got to figure out where we're going to live and what we're going to do and what we're going to commit to and what we're going to work hard on. Yep. But the big thing is you were meant to follow Jesus and all the other things will line up over time. You were meant to follow Jesus, which should make you wildly curious. You know what I pray about, what I wonder about? Jesus. Instead of being, 
upset about a bad thing happening or, or a challenge or, or a good thing happening or, or a blessing, I always am asking God, Jesus, what are you up to? Just curious, God, what are you up to in my life, in Citizen's life, in my little T-bone, in Eloise's life, in Elena's life? And how can I be a part of that? Maybe it is teaching, but a lot of times it's prayer and love. The good works God has for you, it may be a big thing, like a playground or this or, or this or something huge. But I can tell you it's always going to be to love other people. It's always going to praise God like he's the only God that there's ever going to be. It's always to have a heart full of love, hands clasped in prayer, and good works to do that will come along the path. And even if we got to take a path to go find more good works, let's do it. God has a life before you that he's growing you as his workmanship because he hasn't given up on you. And God guides us in good works. No matter how small or big you feel your life is, there are good works to do that God wants to do with you because he prepared them beforehand. Just like God has had a plan to rescue humanity, he has a plan for your life full of faith and good works towards him. Don't waste another second of life walking as a zombie in sin or Satan. Instead, receive the gospel. Even now, repent and believe in Jesus. Come talk with me after. And walk following Jesus, fully forgiven, made alive, to walk in the good works that God has for you.